Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Hello, and welcome to another lovely episode of the Lines Led by Donkeys podcast, the first non-series episode we've done in quite some time, it feels like, Liam. Sweet relief. I'm free. <laughs> I'm free. No, you're not. You're never free from this place. Man, I know. I'm hard at work in the, in the podcasting mind. Joe is yelling slurs at me. That's right. Specifically, Philly-centric slurs, uh, which <laughs> if they don't exist, we need to exist. Uh, we need to invent. Yeah, probably. I guess you could insult the eagle. I mean, you you texted me to taunt me about the fucking Red Wings beating the Flyers. Like, I give a shit about the Flyers. It's because it's the only team bad enough for the Red Wings to fucking, like, dunk on, man. Yeah, no, the Flyers are, are fucking, dude. Like, based on what we're about to learn in this episode, I, I will cool Mayor Jim Kenny. <laughs> and as, as my first civic order, I will restore excellence to the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, I will personally ensure that the CEO of Comcast has a nice time. God damn it, Liam. I warned you about this. Yeah, that's why I said have a nice time. I said have a nice time. That's not actionable. Everybody knows what that means. It's like saying in Minecraft, the FBI is like, so that's murder, right? I, I said <laughs> have a nice time. But I, you know, I know where he lives. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, Nate's going to have to edit all this out. Which is a shame because this is good. Yeah, it's uh like I I couldn't think of a better person to have uh for this episode, despite the fact you are the co-host. So thanks, bud. I'm glad to know I I I top rank in a show where I am online as being the co-host. I I know that Twitter <laughs> account. I think it's ridiculous that you haven't given me the uh, Twitter password because I way. don't feel like having it get banned. I see. I understand that, but uh, it hurts my feelings. And my actual account is uh, is connected to it. Therefore, I will be banned, which will lead to my literary agent firing me. <laughs> that seems like a you problem. We're both like the most uh, uh, angry um, vocal sports fans of this podcast. Nick's also a huge hockey fan. I think he's a huge ba- baseball guy, too. Oh, that's too bad. But he's not much of a shit talker about it, which like isn't a bad thing, right? He's like the most normal of the three of us, which is saying something. Yeah, meanwhile, some of us, some of us are 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 bordering on delusional in their belief in their sports teams, and that person is me. Couldn't be me. No, no, no. I am fully invested. Like I, I will talk shit to anyone. I'm just like, yeah, no, absolutely. The Boston Bruins are winning the Stanley Cup this year, and you're fucking stupid if you don't believe that. You're a Bruins fan and not a Flyers fan? Why? Uh, because I was raised by my father, uh, who grew up in Boston, 
And so I, uh, I was a New England sports fan long before I moved to Philly and long before I became an Eagles fan. So you drop the Patriots for for the fly or for the, for the Flyers, the Eagles. No, 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 I don't drop the Patriots. That's the worst part. Oh, God, you're terrible. You're fired. Yeah, I know. That's, see, that's fair. You can have actionable threats that cause my producer pain every week, but you cannot be a Patriots fan and work for this podcast. That's fine. It's fine. No, six Super Bowls, bitch. I mean, that, that's the thing is like, how can you be a delusional sports fan? Like your sports teams have won more championships in the last 10 years than all of mine have combined throughout my life. Here's the thing, though, right, is because now I expect that every year. Oh, that's true. You yeah. see, so living at the top, you know, heavy, heavy uh, lies the head that wears the crown, Joe. That's fair. And, I mean, uh, that's why, I mean, like not going to the playoffs every year as a Red Wings fan is is slightly above the you know, the, the burning of the, li- uh, the library of Alexandria to me. the record uh, for most Stanley Cup losses with 14. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I mean, and at least yours were recent. Like, you got to go to the cup recently. You won a cup in 2008, you fucking baby. That's not that recent, my man. It is 2022. No, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) We have not been to the playoffs in several years. Yeah, rebuilding takes work. These are not the Red Wings I grew up with. Uh, And, like, the reason why I bring that up is, yes, I am also very delusional. I I still watch the Lions. Jared Jared Goff really going to do it for you, huh? Oh, no, 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 no. See, that's the thing is like you can't find a delusional Lions fan because deep down, I mean, well, you can. Someone will always, but like we're delusional to the point like, no, they're going to turn it around this year. It's not like we're going to win the Super Bowl or even make the playoffs. It's like they might win nine games. <laughs> like that's, that's a delusional Lions fan. Do you like the Pistons? I don't give a fuck about basketball, quite honestly. Uh, like, I mean, I, I like the Pistons. You won a championship in 2004. Yeah, again, even longer ago than 2008. I was in fucking high school. The team assembled out of some guys. <laughs> yeah, that that was like the cooler story uh, behind it is not only that, we beat the fucking Lakers. Uh, that was like the most stacked Lakers team of all time. With Chauncey Billups and friends. Yeah, I remember that. And Rip Hamilton, who went to Connecticut and, uh, and single-handedly, heroically beat uh, Washington. He's, he's from around here. I will say, despite the fact I'm not a basketball fan, every championship Pistons team fully embodies the spirit of the city they represent by being like just dirty as fuck. <laughs> Those teams are trying to murder someone. <laughs> Sheed is trying to kill someone. Yeah, I mean, he, he is 100% committed assault on the basketball floor. Um, he's from Philly. He's one of us. Yeah, well, he, yeah, I mean, Philly energy and Detroit energy are very similar. Yeah. And I used to play basketball in like middle school uh, because back then the only skill you needed was like being tall. Yeah. Which I hit like 6'3 when I was in like sixth grade, I think. That's tall though. Aren't you 5'10? What? No. 5'7? <laughs> yeah. You just keep rounding it down. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually like 4'2. <laughs> oh, You'll you see fuck. me in the most recent Jackass film going by Jason Acuna. Fun, fun, fun size Joe. Everybody's memory of basketball then was like the 90s Pistons teams, uh, like the the bad boys, because they literally just punched people in the fucking face. So that's kind of how I learned how to play basketball. 
Um, so nothing but respect for Bill Lambeer, who's a terrible human being, I should point out. Yeah, Lambeer's a bastard. He's a fucking uh, <laughs> asshole. There's, there's nobody in the greater Detroit area that worked in some kind of restaurant establishment or doctor's office, fucking the post office, whatever, that doesn't have a story about Bill Lambeer being a fucking dick. At least he's consistent, I guess. Yeah, well, he's not one of those guys who's like an asshole on the field. Like, uh, Nudamia Kinsu is a great example of that. He's committed felonious assault on the field, but is... He stomped on a guy. <laughs> yeah, he's widely considered super fucking nice otherwise. Uh, so as long as you're not uh, having to play him in a football game, he's a very cool guy. <laughs> the reason why we bring all this up is we're considered like... I don't know. I guess you could call us like very big sports fans for the United States, right? Also, the genocide pod. I um, mean, we're not talking about that today, but you know, oh. a lot of people are going to die, though. Uh, <laughs> but like, especially for you, you live in Philly. Philly has an absolutely terrible sports fan reputation. Shut the hell up, Joe. I'll fucking kick your ass. Legitimately one of the worst ones I've ever heard of. Thank you. And not not like because everybody says Patriots fans are annoying, which you are, but it's because you win so much. We have no reason to fucking like we have yeah, to hate. I, you. I, I, I pride myself on belonging to probably the two worst sports cities in the country. Besides, I'm maybe not going to argue with that. Yeah, L.A. is pretty bad. I mean, LA, well, it depends on L.A. Like Nick is an L.A. hockey fan and he just doesn't give a shit. Like he's super laid back. Fuck the Kings, man. I hate the Kings. Oh, you mean Flyers West? Yeah, congratulations on our Stanley Cup, comrade. Yeah, uh, shout out to uh, my other podcast, 10,000 Losses, and shout out my boy Tom Payne, who I assume is giggling and clapping as he's being called one of the worst sports fans in the country. No, I'm I'm a pretty bad sports fan, but like Philly has a reputation that y'all oh, I'll spit on a baby. I don't care. <laughs> Oh, like I will, the guy I will ate shit baby. in the street. There was that. There was that ancient story. Well, ancient what a probably, Super Bowl. Yeah. So you go and eat a pile of horse shit. Yeah, people do weird stuff all the time. Whatever, man. You are and a you know tanker. What? I don't want to hear it. Yeah, that's the thing. You're explaining this to me, and you constantly bring up my TBI. Never once have I been so happy. I'm going to <laughs> eat shit. Uh, you're also from Detroit. That makes no sense to any rational mind. Even irrational. Oh, Even oh, irrational. Go birds. Go birds. And like, there's that story from like 20 years ago or even longer where like Santa came through and everybody threw batteries at him. Oh, that dude deserved it. <laughs> oh, man, that kid was a prick. So I had to go and find the one event in history, which I'm sure someone's going to say that there's others, that I found a group of sports fans who are actually worse behaved and more violent than Philly sports fans. And I had to go back to Byzantium. So. Oh. <laughs> All right. All right. I respect the game. I respect the game. Yeah. And today we're talking about the Nika riots. To get to that point, we kind of have to talk about how much people really fucking loved sports back then and specifically chariot racing. I mean, this is easy to figure out why people loved chariot racing and gladiatorial combat and beast fights and whatever, because there was literally nothing else to do. Yeah, just jerk it. Jerk it and drink like plum wine or whatever. Yeah, just... Drinking uh, your everything is uh, aligned with lead as your brain is slowly being churned into powder. Like, yeah, who would do that, Joe? Oh, uh, well, I didn't drink a lead that we know of. No, that, that's not Detroit, that's several hours away. It's that's a big so, state. Oh, I was making fun of you because you were in the military. Nah, that wasn't lead, that was mostly burn pit stuff. Mm, <laughs> and that's all lungs, baby. It goes down smooth. It's, yeah, it goes down smooth with my like third country cigarettes. 
Now, people in the Roman Republic Empire and then later Byzantine Empires, probably the biggest sports fans that exist. The only thing I could honestly consider even remotely close is how certain countries feel about soccer. Um, oh, and sure. even then, it's not close. Uh, that's the closest, however. Um, like these athletes were mega stars at the levels of like so big that LeBron James and Lionel Messi would be jealous. So we're talking like demigod status, I assume. Like legit demigod status. Yes. And this includes wealth as well. Because remember, the world is much smaller. If you're incredibly famous in the Byzantine Empire, it's, it's a small world. I mean, it's a large empire, obviously, yeah, but like, you small know, world. if you're a celebrity in Constantinople, uh, you might as well be a global celebrity uh, to everyone that exists right there. For most of these people, the world doesn't exist beyond those walls. Right. So if you're like, I don't know, Jeff, the chariot racer or whatever, Jeff, the chariot <laughs> racer, famed, famed hero of the of the of the land yeah known for his intangibles and and i don't know what what are other draft I words like this guy. I like Motor. This guy. he's a he's a real blue collar chariot racer <laughs> there was billboards there was sponsorships all of the facets of modern day athletic celebrity existed back then but before we get there we have to kind of figure out how it got that point because we talked about gladiators way back in the day you weren't quite on the show yet where it started as a uh, religious event, and it kind of grew beyond that. But people are still like, yeah, yeah, it's for the gods or whatever, but the shit rocks. Right. And kind of explain how we got to that point, and then so goddamn important that someone nearly killed an emperor over them. Oh, yeah, man, good for them. So chariot racing in Rome began, like most other things, being stolen from someone else, and then... You know, them being credited for them. They probably got the idea for chariot racing from the Etruscans, who then possibly got the idea from the Greeks or vice versa. Nobody's entirely sure. Um, the racing had been used as part of a religious ceremony since the dawn of the city of Rome and is actually a very important part in Roman history and Roman mythology. For instance, early on, Rome was hardly the superpower it become, and, you know, it was competing with other nearby civilizations and groups of people like the Sabines. There's some arguments, and this would become a problem later on in the Roman Republic as they argued over who got Roman citizenship and whatever, if they were considered Latin or Italian or whatever. Uh, but the Sabine people mostly shared the same culture, religion, and, and so forth, even the same language. According to Roman mythology, Rome was mostly founded by men, mostly bandit men. So there was a, a huge inequality between the men and the women population. So they invited the Sabine people over to their village to watch some sick chariot races to honor a couple gods, and the Sabine people agreed. When they showed up, they kidnapped all the women and forced them to accept the Roman husbands. Uh, this is known as the rape of the Sabine yes. women. Cool. That's fantastic. Well, some casual war crimes in my mythology. It's kind of thought of as being incorrectly translated. The Latin word would probably more accurately consider the kidnapping of the Sabine women. I, I mean, I either know. way, man. I'm not a classicist. I don't fucking know. But this eventually led to war and the Sabine people and many others eventually being absorbed into Roman society. And this is like a pretty foundational part of Roman mythology. But... I should also point out that, again, because this is a part of Roman mythology, there's a very good chance it isn't real. Like, you know, Romulus and Remus being raised by wolves or whatever. There's a, there's a good chance that shit didn't happen. There's little to no evidence uh, that it actually did. 
uh, other than storytelling. There's also coins minted to uh, memorialize the events, but they're from hundreds of years afterwards, after the point it would have become mythology. Though the important part I'm taking out of this, and maybe incorrectly, is that it was believable that a whole bunch of people would have been so enamored by chariot races they get their asses ambushed. Yeah. I don't know. I'm like the dumbest person alive, so I find this entirely plausible. Yeah, I find it plausible. I mean, and it's not like Rome wouldn't go and end up doing insanely evil things to people. Like, this is not a outside the realm of possibility. You know, like if I got robbed on my way back from the hockey arena in Detroit, which I still haven't gone to yet since they opened the new one, rest in piss, Mike Illich. Oh, little Caesars. Fuck that guy. I, I know, I know, but oh, little Caesars. But like if I got robbed leaving there, people would be like, yeah, that sounds like something that would happen to Joe. Right. <laughs> yes. Although I don't know what kind of person would want to rob you, given that you're like 200 feet tall. It's happened. Like, I mean, Grant, I was much younger. I've been uh, robbed quite a few times. Were you the guy <laughs> that got robbed for a pack of menthols or something? It wasn't menthols. They were camel crushes, uh, which uh, I was at. Fuck, what's that bar called? Uh, it was a bar in Pontiac. His name's escaping me at the time when they came out. And back then, I don't know if this still happens, mostly because you can't smoke in bars anymore. Fucking pathetic. Yes. Like the camel girls uh, that worked for camel cigarettes uh, would go around to nightclubs and bars and give out cartons of new cigarettes. Uh, like, cause the crush just came it out. It used to be a proper country. Yeah. Return to tradition, smoking in bars. But I didn't like them because they suck. Anybody who who smokes or used to smoke and smoked a Camel Crush will probably testify that they do, in fact, suck. But uh, I gave all of mine out uh, and I didn't have any more. Like I said, there, and some guy who couldn't get into the club or bar or whatever it was waited for me to come out and, and told me to give him a pack. And it's like, I don't fucking have any. He decided that was a lie, despite the fact that I was clearly not carrying a carton of cigarettes on me. And I got robbed. And when I didn't have those cigarettes, he took my wallet instead. <laughs> Which, sure, I mean, I guess no money is as good as no cigarettes. Because I was 16, I didn't have any fucking money. It's just like now. <laughs> well, I definitely won't have cigarettes now. I can tell you that much. But as the Roman Republic formed and became stronger and much wealthier, circuses and you know, which is generally like when you the circus your sports of really and sports and entertainment of any kind, they became more and more important and much more prevalent. Uh, like gladiatorial combat, it was a centerpiece of religious ceremony still, but also like that combat, eh, people really like the entertainment aspect more. Uh, like the Circus Maximus, which is the, the big uh, uh, chariot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The the, the fucking uh, place in Vegas. What's what's the one that's like the Vegas hotel that's, that's modeled after a circus? It's not Circus Max. It's Circus Circus. It's yeah. all clowns and shit. Uh, it's terrifying. It's the only like place I've one. stayed in Vegas. It scares me. Someone's like, oh, where are you staying in Vegas? I was like, Circus Circus. Someone got stabbed there last week. I'm like, yeah, of course it is. That's why I can afford it. But there were still statues. Like there was a a big uh, cement piece down the middle of it that had like shrines to the gods or whatever. But people were placing bets on this shit. The religious aspect was very it was tertiary at best. <laughs> like it's like if the Super Bowl was owned by evangelicals, which is probably only like 
10 years away from happening anyway. Yeah, we're, we're only a little bit off. Every starting quarterback is part of some weird religious cult at this point anyway, so why does it fucking matter? Now, this led to the first and largest stadium in Rome being built, which is the Circus Maximus, like I said. The Maximus is huge. Just to be clear how big it is, it could fit 150,000 spectators inside of it, which Jeez. makes it, if it still ran, would be the biggest stadium in the world today. In the day of like modern super mega stadiums that border on the ridiculous, the Circus Maximus was still bigger. That said, uh, I believe it's Indianapolis that can hold something like 250,000 people. That's kind of cheating. I mean, is that like outdoor seating and shit? Yeah, uh, but the largest stadium in the world that I'm aware of is in North Korea, and I think it holds 125,000 or so. So I looked it up. The biggest one in the United States is Michigan Stadium, That's home of the is. University of Michigan Wolverines, uh, which houses about 110,000. Yeah. And North Korea's May Day Stadium officially hits the mark because there's 150,000, though most people say realistically it's like 115. Um, so even today, the Circus Maximus might still be the biggest stadium in the world. And if you look up some things about it, there's, um, I think it's a, uh, a Livy says it was actually 250,000. But that seems insanely unrealistic. And most people just disregard that because that, that would have been like, most of the population of the city, which seems unlikely. Obsessively fueled by gambling debts. And also, hey, Joe, go blue. Are you fucking University of Michigan fan? No, Jesus Christ. It's doing it to fuck with you. <laughs> like, one, if you would have said that to me like 10 years ago or 15 years ago, I'd been like, fuck you, Sparty on, baby. But then like Larry Nasser happened and right. I hope my college burns to the ground. Yeah, that's understandable. <laughs> I still get emails uh, like asking for like donations and I just I continuously tell them to suck my dick and stop emailing me. And then they email me again. I get I get emails from Temple and Rutgers that are just like, hey, we need your money. And I'm just like, hey, you institutionally defended Bill Cosby. And they're oh, just God, like they did. Oh, yeah. Ruck, Rutgers did. No, Temple did. Temple did. OK. Ugh. I'm a proud alumnus of the dumbest schools in the country. But I, at least I didn't go to Liberty. So that's true. We, none of us went to like chiropractic university in Iowa or wherever the fuck it is. Either. <laughs> I think it's called like Palmer university. It's in like Iowa or Idaho. One of those fucking states. <laughs> yeah. I swear to God. Yeah. It's like named after uh DD Palmer, the guy who founded chiropractic, the, the man who believed that he could make blind people see by cracking their backs. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's a fucking psycho and it's a grift and it's not real medicine. Anyway, <laughs> The Circus Maximus started off as a little more than a dirt track with some wooden bench seating uh, that would like rot away every year in the rain. Uh, But eventually it was built up in the Republican era uh, because they just dumped money into it. Because there's a certain group of Roman populist politicians that realized people were a lot happier if you gave them free shit to do. It's crazy how that works. Yeah, uh, because if you don't, it gives lets them focus on how much life is terrible. Uh, so if you give them food and entertainment, i.e. bread and circuses, they're a lot happier. And people like to simplify that these days. But what it came down to is the government was, wait a minute, if we give them their means of living and then something to do for fun, free of charge, everyone's a lot happier. <laughs> like, oh, sure. No shit. Uh, they didn't have to worry about anything else. Cause it's not like healthcare, electricity, or anything else is really a thing yet. So they got running water and grain. 
which is a pretty sweet trade-off for being ran by psychopaths. What are you going to do? If you're going to be ran by psychopaths either way, you might as well get free stuff out of it. It's going to be a guy who has you know baby corpses locked in an attic or whatever. Yeah, or or you know some psycho emperor that orders his soldiers to stab the ocean. Like you might I hope the fucking entertainment's at least on the house guys. Now, these races became incredibly popular. Uh obviously because like we point out back that living back then is very boring, but also because they were completely free if you were poor. Anyone could go and watch. There was no like, oh, I can't afford to go to the, the circus or whatever. Hell no, I'm going to food stamp circus, baby. <laughs> like rich people paid for this. Like they paid for better better seats and they were taxed. But that in turn got uh, led to them being able to bilk everyday people for more wealth and you know, also controlling all of the power uh, because Roman democracy wasn't really a thing. Right. So in exchange for paying a higher tax rate, they kept the proles happy. And not rioting, notably. Yeah, maybe they wouldn't get stabbed so often. Oh, uh, you wouldn't know what that's like, huh? <laughs> to be fair, if that guy had a chariot race to watch, he wouldn't have stabbed me. <laughs> and these races were not a rare thing. Like it wasn't like, oh, it's the one day a year where everybody packs into the circus. They went on for sixty-six straight days every year. Jesus. Like hundreds and hundreds of races. And this while this wasn't gladiatorial combat, it's arguably almost as brutal because despite Hollywood portrayals and Everybody didn't die doing gladiatorial combat. Right. The Circus Maximus of Rome was 2,000 feet long, but the track was only about 150 feet wide, and there were hardly any goddamn rules. I think, like, the only rule that I found for sure is you couldn't just, like, lean over and punch the other guy in the face. Stupid, why not? (laughs) But, like, everything else seemed to be good. You could just run into one another, not to mention that happened on accident anyway. Crashes on purpose or otherwise were pretty much a daily occurrence. And this is the age before safety was invented. So the the way the chariots were designed, from my understanding, is you controlled them by leaning side to side, which then would force the horse to follow your direction, right? right? But in order to get closer and more tightly bind them to the chariot, making their movements more important, they would wind their reins around the wrists, meaning that if the chariot went over, they were going with it. 100% 100% of the time. There was no fucking escape, man. Fun stuff. Yeah. People would get tangled up in horses, their chariot, ropes, whatever. They just get fucking mangled. Not to mention all the times that the other guy ran them over, which was quite frequently. And remember, any medium amount of injury, like a bone breaking, could be fatal in this day and age. Yeah, you're going to die. Sorry. <laughs> like, oh, the ghost have infected his kneecap. We have to cut off his face. Oh, God damn it. Don't worry about that. Saves weight. Going back to like episode one of our Romecast bonus series, like the guy trapanned a guy and then they're like, oh, what should I do to keep back infection? Uh, sacrifice a pigeon. Like, okay. <laughs> or some sheep if I can find one. Or, or a sheep if you can find one and afford it. Yeah. Um, and there's pretty good records kept on these racers. Uh, like they died constantly. And, and I found um, ancient inscriptions that noted down literally hundreds of people who died chariot racing. Uh, most of them were in their early to mid 20s, though. Not always. That's a tough way to go, man. <laughs> yeah. It's like imagine if when you fell out of your prime being like, I don't know, a shooting guard or whatever, like a Mazda Miata blared onto the fucking basketball court and <laughs> ran you over. <laughs> Oh, LeBron. 
Russell Westbrook, my sweet boy. I guess, I, I guess if I was going to get hit by any car, a Miata would be the way to go. It's pretty small. I think it could take it. And like one-on-one. It's also entertaining. I, I feel like if, I, if, I, if you put me in a cage with a Mazda Miata, I might be able to win. I like that. I like that. <laughs> now, many of these racers would begin their careers, if you can call them that, as slaves. But they would pretty quickly earn enough money to buy their own freedom. At which point, they'd begin racing for themselves. Uh, they'd work for like stables, uh, consider the stable sports teams, right? Um, now, this prize money that you could win is is so high; it's quite baffling, even for today. When uh, you know, you know, your Tom Brady's or uh, your LeBron James's or Lionel Messi's or whatever clear almost half a billion dollars in lifetime earnings, if not right. more, right? Um, for instance, Diocles, uh, one of the most successful racers of all time, won 36 million sesterces. Um, now, I couldn't find a, um, a direct conversion of that, uh, but this is over a career of over 4,000 races. Inflation calculator dot Rome. <laughs> uh, and this was a career of 4,000 races, of which he didn't even win half, just pointing out. In lieu of a direct conversion, the Sasonian magazine points out this is enough money to feed Rome for an entire year. Holy shit, dude. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big now, stacks. some guys did so well uh, in these races that they were accused of witchcraft and they were executed. <laughs> uh, I mean, the anti-doping agencies now don't have any teeth. They were executing <laughs> the Russian Olympic team left and right. Like back in like the 80s, every like 12-year-old swimmer who looked like they were 30 and were ripped uh, would immediately be accused of witchcraft. Like, no, no, it's just HGH. I'm not saying it's a moral thing. Uh, I'm just saying Olympic Committee or International Anti-Doping Agency, my phone number. Uh, that documentary Icarus would end a lot different. <laughs> Now, the money was from cash awards that went to winners of the races, but also sponsorships in the form of most prevalently olive oil, uh, where there'd be like billboards and stuff that this is like I don't know, Jeff the Chariot Racer endorses Pete the Olive Oil Salesman's Olive Oil and also betting, of course. Uh, of course. Te- technically, private betting was not allowed because remember, folks, this is a religious ceremony. Please, please. But come on. Show some respect. Come on. The racers and the spectators themselves made a killing betting on one another and throwing races in order to help one another from time to time. Yeah, I was wondering where the throwing races was coming. Oh, all the time, dude. All the fucking time. I mean, I I can't say this for sure. And if Diocles has an attorney still living, uh, you can't sue me for this because it's 2022. You're mostly just dust at this point. But like, this is, remember, that guy won less than a half of his races, but ended up with like a Bill Gates amount of money. Like, come on. That's suspicious, man. A little bit. I'm not saying bit. I'm not saying he's wrong. Like ethically, sure, but right. you know, uh, you know, get the get the bag, buddy. Right. It's, it's like being in the NFL. Your lifetime career is like maybe two years, I think it is. Yep. If someone was like, if you if you're a quarterback and you I don't know, you're Jeff Driscoll or whatever the other quarterbacks oh, that Driscoll. yeah, that gets like six games of experience before you eventually I don't end up doing the motivational speaker circuit in Florida or whatever, and someone is like, Hey, we'll pay you, you know, a million dollars to throw three interceptions, You'd be like, Yeah, all right, <laughs> let's fucking go, buddy. Sign me up. Like I said, that the betting thing was pretty important, but also the spectators who were maybe some, many of them not quite important enough to have the power to get people to throw races had other means 
Oh boy! Of influencing uh, uh, racers at their disposal, which included throwing booby traps out onto the oh, field. Fuck yeah! Which one of them? My personal favorite was a nail-studded curse tablet. Jesus! Now, a curse tablet is exactly what it sounds like. They believed in witchcraft at the time, uh, and a certain inscriptions of certain gods or whatever could use to strike people down. At which point, they would drive nails through them and attempt to throw them from the stands and get them to stick into your horse. Oh. Yeah, these people are fucking psychos, man. <laughs> I mean, imagine you put like 50 bucks on like, I don't know, uh, think of a team that nobody, the Jacksonville drag, Jaguars, and you're like, oh man, I'm gonna lose my time to throw some fucking Caltrops out of that bitch. Yeah. <laughs> or like the last Boy Scout scene or something. Now, in the days of the Roman Republic, the races featured four color-themed teams. The reds, the whites, the greens, and the blues, each of which attracted a fanatical support. People would dye their clothes to show which team they supported. These teams were ran much like modern sports teams. Teams had stables where young people trained, and the best would eventually be brought onto the main team, while managers could trade people back and forth. Though if you were a slave, you were literally just bought and sold. Also, kind of like today, that's also kind of what happens. Sponsorships paid these teams in order to put on the races, which in turn meant these fan factions grew to support the sponsors of their team. Senior managers, which were like uh, Domini Factorium or some shit like that. Domini Factorium, of course, famously. Yeah, uh, they were usually of the equestrian class, which is a higher class. The investors were often very wealthy, but of a low social standing. Driving racing chariots, despite being insanely profitable, was thought of being like the lowest and most disgraceful thing you could be just above a slave, which some of them were also slaves. Okay. So investors of high social status, these equestrians, would resort to negotiating discreetly through agents or in go-betweens rather than losing reputation, status, and privilege in order to fund these races, which generally means they laundered their money through these fan slash team groups um, to save social face while also making a massive amount of profit. However, if you notice something, that means that makes these team groups power players in the situation. This eventually turned them into something like soccer hooligans mixed with organized crime. (laughs) Which I think is kind of how soccer hooliganism works in some parts of the world. We don't really have anything like that in the United States. For instance, team factions would run protection rackets for athletes, like they would be bodyguards, but also the sponsors of the team. Oh, that could suck at kneecapped by your own fans. Some dude wearing your jersey. (laughs) Right. Like if you were Bill the oil salesman or whatever, uh, these guys would just hang around your place, uh, make sure nothing gets fucked up. Or maybe if you were, I don't know. Uh, Steven, the other oil guy who doesn't sponsor a team, you could send your blues over and be like, it'd be a shame if you didn't sponsor the team and someone broke all your shit. Like, (laughs) happened all the time. (laughs) And if you're thinking, why? Wouldn't this bring these factions into conflict with one another? Yes, these turned into armed gangs that actively murdered one another (laughs) over neighborhoods and shit. So they became street gangs, which were originally organized as sports fans. But we're also being used as mafia. That was <laughs> the best of us. Yeah, who, whom's amongst us? Am I right? These factions were not technically official. Like, there's no official government thing recognizing these guys' right to exist. 
But they operate in a limbo state, just below the surface. They were very, very useful for the men in power, whether they be very rich commoners or the equestrians. If you needed someone to take out some trash or, say, run a protection racket on one of your businesses or farms or whatever, like, oh, I got a guy in the greens or the reds or whatever. And you'd have like the local super fans go kneecap a guy. Okay. People in power knew that they were powerful enough to be useful. But also, if we have made them official, it kind of defeats the purpose. Right. The government itself eventually would show support for one team traditionally. Like the emperor was kind of uh, like officially a, a fan of the blues um, because the, the blues are mostly ran by the nobility. Lame. There, there was a very uh, practical political reason for this, which will become very important later on. <laughs> now, another thing that these factions did was indirectly engage in politics. They would have very different opinions on different things, and they would debate during races by means of chanting at one another. And I remember, the emperor is at these races. So this is kind of like uh, uh, taking the public's uh, temperature on certain things. Sure. I was always mad when uh, when... Trump would show up. Everybody got booed at that Nats game. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I was mad there just wasn't more booing. Like I uh, like I know they're all DC, you know, clipboard uh whatever lanyard weirdos. But I was always a little annoyed no one just like threw something at him. Like just that would have been funny. Just Trump getting cracked in the head with like a twelve dollar Miller light. I think it's because one, they're they're given out in shitty uh plastic cups, so they don't have good flight trajectory, but also nobody wants to get party vanned. Um, that's true. So, party van for your country, you fucking pussy. <laughs> you cowards. Uh, the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast does not support throwing <laughs> things at public figures. Now, with all that in mind, we have to jump ahead a bit to the Byzantine Empire and around the 5th century AD. In the 5th century AD, as the expense of festivals and spectacles increased, the circus factions began to take uh, more of, like I said, an unofficially but official responsibility. Not just for the races, but other kinds of entertainment as well, including pantomimes and wild beast fights. They were effectively a union in control of all kinds of entertainment within the city of, of Constantinople. Uh, but like one of the ones from like a shady mafia uh, 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 TV drama. Oh, not that. So the good. So you know what? So the good kind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> By the sixth century AD, after the western half of the empire fell, only two of these teams survived. Uh, the greens uh, incorporated the reds and the whites had been absorbed by the blues. But the two remaining teams were wildly popular in the eastern or Byzantine part of the empire and more importantly, its capital, Constantinople. What is weird is that nothing really survives as to what the difference was between these factions. There was very, very real political differences and weirdly enough, theological differences. Um, they'd have like theological debates which sound like if you've ever been to a sports bar, having a theological debate in there sounds like something that exists only in my nightmares. Um, but this is what happened. Yeah, no thanks. Hard no thanks. <laughs> uh, and they would have morphed into something of more solid pseudo political parties, though we're not really sure what their difference were other than by default, the blue section or faction was the higher classes, mostly because traditionally the emperor was a blue. That meant everyone else uh, from you know below equestrian class was a, was a green. Just kind of like, well, fuck, I'm not one of those rich guys. I guess I'm green. The real important part for this was that 
the games were still moderately religious in nature, but also they focused around the cult of the emperor. They, the emperor was a doodly honored. And indeed, he sponsored a faction to glorify its victories without actually having to get involved personally. Like the gladiatorial and wild beast shows, the chariot races were uh, associated with the imperial cult, which had kind of been folded into Christianity and, and uh, along with the elevation of the status of the concept of the emperor. Like they weren't worshiping the emperor by no means. However, it was like there's a certain amount of veneration towards him. That was probably, if you're truly Christian, is probably quite idolatrous, I guess. <laughs> but whatever. You do, you guys. Christianity is idolatry anyway, Joe. Yeah, whatever. Even though uh, like these games were, were not paid for by the emperor, they're almost always sponsored by a praetor or a council or something. The emperor got to take all of the credit. So this is really play the, playing the political game for the emperor of the Byzantine Empire was literally playing the game. You show up, you shake hands, you kiss babies, you cheer for chariot races, and you take all the credit. Sure. And you are kind of sort of a part of the blue faction like yay go blues it's like when you bring your friend who is very clearly not a sports fan to a sports event yes and and you make them kiss babies and then they, they say shit like yay sports ball and then what you do is you execute them in the restrooms at halftime <laughs> hit in between the eyes of the pipe until they go cross-eyed <laughs> exactly this kind of imperial sport drew the line in the sand between the two sides like i said greens Normal people, blues, rich people, nobility, the emperor. By the end of the 5th century AD, these factions have become insanely powerful uh, to the point they were destabilizing the empire. Neat. Good. (laughs) For instance, Constantinople, rather large city, right? A lot of people in it. Now, there was no police force at this time. There was like the Praetorium, which was kind of like, uh, like the city jail. But there was no... Modern police didn't exist yet. The closest you had was... Those were founded by slave patrols. (laughs) Yeah, we have modern policing. Look it up. Now, uh, the closest they had was city guards, which the only thing they really did was like, huh, there's a a riot. We need to go stop them from burning the fucking city down. Because remember, you know, an open flame in Constantinople might kill a couple thousand people on accident. Yeah, shit happens. Uh, So, like, without the support of these factions, the city guards couldn't actually control the city. There's simply not enough of them, and so many people were actively in factions to include members of government. And remember, technically the emperor himself. So without like the blues and the greens coming together to do the three-way handshaking thing with the city guards, the city guards could not control Constantinople. This is made even worse with Emperor Anastasius virtually outlawed all other kinds of public entertainment. So that meant the pantomimes and the beast fights, all that shit is gone now. If you want public entertainment, you go to the Hippodrome, which is like where the races take pl- took place, and you watch chariot racing. So and you like it. Yeah, you fucking like it. You fucking like the chariot races. Horses go fast. Yes, daddy. But uh, so that meant not only were these powers very stabilizing, <laughs> this, this massive population of people is now centralized in one area for every sports event. Uh-oh, that seems like it might lead to trouble. <laughs> This is a very stupid thing to do. Now, this meant by the rise of the Emperor Justinian I, going to the races is effectively opening himself to be cheered or booed at will by the entire population of the city that he controlled. It was the only place in the empire where a common person could go and tell the emperor to fuck himself and not have to worry about anything bad happening to him. 
Remember, if, if you're green, because remember the blues are still moderately loyal to the emperor because that's their faction. But if you're green and the greens are cheering like Justinian sucks balls, like what are they going to do about it? You can't, they can't fucking punish everybody. So they just have to let it go. And that's what happened. Like, so every time Justinian went to the races, everybody was like, fuck you. And he's like, oh, this sucks. I don't want to <laughs> be here. Bob, they're being mean to me. Can you come pick me up? <laughs> and eventually, he uh, decided that uh, he would fuck up something pretty bad. One of the worst decisions Justinian made at this point of his time in the reign, which I believe is like three or five, three to five years within his reign, he'd make a lot of dis- mistakes, to be clear. Yeah, this, bi- this dumb bitch got plague. Uh, <laughs> fucking owned. Loser shit. I have a feeling he would blame you for that, Liam. Who <laughs> would do that? <laughs> now, the emperor decided to not support the factions. Now, by Justinian's day, when he took over, and he knew this, the factions were politically the most powerful organization in the empire. And by openly picking a side, it, it's playing the game. By supporting the blue faction, it just meant that of the two factions, one was always on your side. Right. So remember, these are all decently well-armed groups of people numbering in the tens, if not hundreds of thousands. So like having one on your side, whether you give a shit about sports or not, is in your best interests. However, when Justinian came to power, he decided that this entire thing was actually below the office and status of the emperor. So he didn't oh, want any fucking part of it. Fuck you, man. You fucking baby. He was almost immediately unpopular. Um, now, this is mostly because under his reign, at least 26 new taxes were implemented, which pissed everybody off, as well as endemic corruption and recent battlefield losses. And he got played like a dumb whore. And he got plagued like a dumb whore. However, shunning these factions was probably the most immediately politically unwise thing he did. Um, because within the blue faction, remember, nobles. What do nobles like to do? Uh, do fucking fuck inter-palace drama. drink, right? Yeah, well, that and scheme, right? Oh, yeah, they love scheming. They're unemployed and fabulously wealthy. What else are they going to do but like do weird palace scheming, right? And there were several people in the blue faction that believed that Justinian was not the rightful emperor. So, bad. Uh-oh. Now, while this was going on, the blues and greens had a bit of a riot, as they tended to do. This happened pretty frequently. Um, this riot ended with quite a few people being killed and the city guards being rushed in to beat the two sides into submission until they decided to give up and go home. Of the ringleaders of the riot, seven were arrested and immediately sentenced to be executed because they had killed quite a few people. While they were strung up at the gallows, the gallows malfunctioned and two of them fell to the ground. It's embarrassing. (laughs) Whoops. Egg on my face. Putting up a help wanted sign for a new executioner. Um, they like two of the ropes the gallows broke or like the eye bolt or whatever they fucking use broke. Eye bolts. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, their, their erector set of doom broke uh, and these two guys hit the ground. The assembled civilians, all members of the factions, rushed forward and like, I don't know, unarrested them. Kind of like how it happens at protests occasionally in the US. You nice. mob one cop with like 20 people and get your buddy out. Um, that's kind of what happened. Remember, the guards couldn't maintain security without a faction's help. But these were greens and blues. And of the two men that hit the ground, one was a green, one was a blue. So that meant it was in both sides' best interest, but like, we're going in on this together. They stashed these guys in a monastery and then unified to appeal to the government to free their dudes, like pardon them. Because their sure. argument was, this is clearly an act of God. You tried to kill them and it didn't work. So by like executing right. them again, I'll, I'll buy that. Yeah, like, on, by, like you sentenced them to death and you tried. 
uh, God said no, you have to let him go. That was effectively, if, if the noose don't fit, you must acquit. Sure. You know, why the hell not? I've heard dumber legal defenses. Sure. Now, with them together, they appealed to the emperor, who was the only power in the city that had to uh, give them a pardon or clemency or whatever. So three days after that, it was time for races once again. So people flooded to the Hippodrome. Despite Justinian not supporting either side, he still had to go to the games. Because uh, remember, oh he blessing off on them. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get booed again. It's like putting on his best clothes to go get told that he sucks. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as soon as he showed up to the now unified crowd, they began just harassing him, demanding that he save the two men's lives. He simply ignored them and they kept going. The screaming continued, which turned into chanting, which went on for hours. Not yes. a single race occurred during that day yes. where it, it was not accompanied by deafening shouting and chanting to the point that like it was like, cause remember it's hundreds of thousands of people <laughs> just like you suck. Oh, this rules so much, dude. Just 80,000 or whatever, a hundred thousand people screaming that they fucked your mom. <laughs> oh, it's glorious. Otherwise it was like every Patriots away game. <laughs> <laughs> Remember those old school Call of Duty lobbies? That, but at four, but at but like two hundred thousand people or whatever. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Now the chanting soon turned hostile, and since the emperor's traditional allies, the Blues, now hated his fucking guts, yes. Justinian had no allies. Justinian, no shooters in these streets. He had no one to rely on. He couldn't oh, like. No. In a normal situation, the blue faction would just start stabbing the green ones now until they shut up. But now he had sucked so hard they had united. He panicked and Justinian agreed to spare the two men's lives, changing the punishment instead to imprisonment. But now that was not enough. They were not asking for imprisonment. They were asking for a pardon and they demanded a full pardon and the men should walk free. Now, it was clear to Justinian that he had completely lost control of the situation. The rest of the races were canceled, and he retreated to his palace. The city guards were deployed, but couldn't manage to do anything. And soon the factions, united in their growing hatred for the government, told them to fuck off. Yes. Now, yes. <laughs> their demands were growing. On top of the pardon of the two men, they demanded the three advisors of the emperor be fired. Uh, now, these three advisors were all considered at fault for all the, the taxes that had been raised, which, to be fair, they, they were. But Justinian was using that to pay for wars, uh, which is one of the reasons why he would go on to be celebrated as much as he is, because he's conquered a whole bunch of shit. But it costs money. These taxes, there's a lot of them. Uh, and they blame the advisors. They want the advisors to be fired. The emperor immediately agreed. He's like, fine, I'll do whatever you want. Just stop yelling at me. Stop yelling at me. <laughs> Um, he fired everyone, thinking that this would finally be what they wanted and promised more races. He's like, look, I know I canceled the other ones. I fired the guys you don't like. These dudes have a pardon. I'll put on more races. Just please, for the love of God, stop yelling about my mom. <laughs> the crowd responded by setting the hippodrome on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Go birds, baby. And no then <laughs> when he uh, he refused to pardon, like he didn't give a, a full pardon. Uh, so they went to the local, like uh, easily it's called like the local city jail and demanded that the, the guards let them out. When they disagreed, they also set that on fire, <laughs> which seems like counterintuitive because there's men inside the jail, but whatever. RIP right. homies, you died for a good cause. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Now, it was pretty obvious to the emperor that there was 
nothing he could do to please the mob. And it was now the most powerful force in Constantinople and everybody in it fucking hated him. As they watched from the palace, they burnt the city to the ground for days. They even set fire to the Hagia Sophia, burning oh. down a large portion of it. Oh, oh that, that's not good. Which, remember, was a church then. It belongs to the museum. Like, the, this was like leaping over from not only hating the emperor to hating all of the institutions that supported the emperor, which included the church, which is a lot. That was the hint to them to like, oh, man, I'm really screwed. Huh? A lot of things to say about Eagles fans, but I don't think we've ever burned a church. Uh, not yet. <laughs> Imagine getting so mad uh, at, at like, I don't know, uh, the Eagles losing in the playoffs or whatever that you go and burn down the local Orthodox church. Oh, we don't know court. why we're doing this, uh, but uh, we feel like it's necessary. The Lions Live by Donkeys podcast is not support burning down churches. <laughs> yeah, we especially don't support that one. We're not a Norwegian black metal band. We don't support doing this. Now, like I said, this went uninterrupted for three days. and But this is more than just some rioters. Remember, the factions were popular in upper, lower, and nobility classes. And the lower classes were using them to vent the rage, as there was plenty to be mad about. Taxes. Yeah, taxes for sure. Like there's one of those situations where it was truly the straw that broke the camel's back. And while they were mad about their buddies being executed for doing the things that like the the people in government benefited from these factions wholeheartedly in their activities, but now they're being held accountable and like this is fucked up. We're do we do these things cuz we're ran by you guys. Like even the greens have like nobility on their payroll who use them for stuff. So, you know, on top of like, well, my taxes keep going up. Food's expensive. You just like lost several thousand people in a battle. This emperor fucking sucks. Another part of it, mostly blues, but also some greens, were nobles who were scheming to bring down Justinian, who they hated and thought was not a legit emperor. So three days into the rioting, suddenly the crown began to support a new idea. We should crown a new emperor. Hell yeah. I, I love that. I just love the idea of like going from like, you know what? The Eagles lost like 48, seven, you know, uh, what, what if we, what if we burned down ice? What if we burned down ice, which we should, uh, no, I don't know if we say we should do that. No, you can't say we should do that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I have to give you a flow chart of things you cannot legally say. Thank you. This is like, you remember like, uh, fuck 10 years ago, 15 years ago. My editor do this. There was the the big uh, uh, protest in Canada when the uh, Vancouver Canucks lost. Yes, I do. To the Boston Bruins, Game 7. See, I didn't remember that was the Bruins. Or I want to brought it up and give you something to be happy about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, cry more, Canucks fans, you stupid fucks. But oh, Im- imagine oh. at the end of that protest, they're like, fuck it. We're going to Ottawa. We're getting a new prime minister. <laughs> they're just like, wait, what? We're- hey, you guys, you guys remember the Sabine brothers? You guys remember that, right? You remember how many cups they won? Oh. You guys remember that? Guys Look, to that? the credit, the Sidian brothers probably 21 seasons, one cup. 21 seasons, 21 seasons, no cups. Uh, hey, remember when Ray Bork had to go to Colorado to finally win a cup? Hey, I shut do. up. <laughs> <laughs> I got you, Canadians. It's cool. Now, they decided they were going to crown a new emperor. And it just so happened the conspiring nobles knew just the guy. A guy named Hapatius or Hapatius. Now, if I can. Yeah, like Hapatius. So good. Now, he was a man that most of the nobles believed to be the right and rightful emperor, since his uncle Anastasius had been the guy widely accepted as the last good emperor. 
There was one in between Anastasius and Justinian, a guy named Justin I, who Justinian had kind of sort of just sat upon the throne uh, and then ruled over because he was old and had dementia. <laughs> so- yeah, guys named Justin are fucking dweebs. <laughs> and they eat their own poops. God damn it, Liam. He listens to the show, too. That's the best part of this. <laughs> For some reason, I forgot that one of the other hosts of Well, There's Your Problem was named Justin because you guys only call him Roz. And I don't know why that somehow melted in my mind to make him make believe that like Roz is his first name. But yeah, I forgot Roz his name's Justin. <laughs> despite the fact I have also recorded with, with, with Justin for at least three hours, probably more. Um, sorry, Justin. Uh, I'm but, not. Fuck you, buddy. <laughs> Though I should be completely clear here, Hypatius was never considered uh, for emperor uh, when Justin the First was, uh, was was shuffled away and ju- made room for Justinian. Of course, the argument could be made is because Justinian controlled that process. Sure, the tellings of the story are all over the place, and in one of them, Hypatius was actually in the palace with Justinian in the beginning of this, but was eventually thrown out because he was starting to get paranoid about people plotting against him, leading him to agree to become the new emperor of all the weird sports fans. Uh, uh, all right, uh, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Now, thankfully uh, for those guys, the sports faction had torn the goddamn city apart and created a great opening. Uh, so, you know, for all the conspiring nobles. Uh, so the blues and the greens got together, crowned their new emperor, and sat him in the emperor's box seat at the half-burned-down hippodrome. Unspeakable orgy of violence. <laughs> like, again, going back to Canada, imagine them crowning, I don't know, Berto Luongo as, like, the new prime minister, then seating him upon the box seat in the arena. Oh, right, after he took the league game set. Oh, Hey, he was a good goalie. Go to hell. I was, I was gassing Tim Thomas up the whole series. Why didn't he do it to me? Fuck you, bud. I think he won a gold medal, so he's got oh, that going for him. That's cool. That's the same thing as the Stanley Cup. That's why they have the same name, Joe. How good of a person was Tim Thomas again? What not, happened to his career? Not, not, <laughs> not. Let's, uh, let's move on swiftly. He, t- he took the rest of his career off and would have blamed cancel culture if it was five years in the future. Yeah, he would have. Yeah, he would have. Yeah, <laughs> like that. Hey, that's one of your boys. He's from Michigan, man. Yep, he sure is. I forget. What, I think he went to University of Michigan. I don't remember though. No blue. Now, uh, oh, he went to Vermont. Oh, way off. People from Vermont are weird. That's something we can all agree on. They're fucking freaks. Now, uh, this mob kept growing and growing and growing, and soon this mob surrounded the palace. And Justinian realized, like, we're not going to be able to control this from within the city. I need to leave the city, muster an army on the outskirts of it. Because remember, the army within the city was untrustworthy. These guys were all like, and not to mention the garrison was also very small. Um, so like, he couldn't muster them because there's a good chance that they were also in one of these factions, right? So he's like, I, I have to go and get someone from outside the city to handle this problem. Or there's also another theory that he was just planning on abdicating. So, you know. If, if you believe the part that he was going to fight against this rebellion, uh, he was going to leave and lack the soldiers to do so. And so while he was planning on escaping the city, all of his advisors agreed with him, with the exception of one, the unofficial advisor, his wife, Theodora, who was a bit of a hard ass. Theodora was a commoner, or as common as anyone could be and still elevate to her status. And at one point, she had not only been a hardcore member of the Blue Faction, but had been a goddamn street fighter with them. 
That's sick. Yeah. So like when she came to power or like she was also previously married with like a single mother before she met Justinian. So like she she's a bit harder than her husband was, who was a pampered rich kid who ended up becoming emperor. She publicly shamed her husband for wanting to leave and famously looked him dead in the eye and said, quote, royalty is a fine burial shroud <laughs> in case you know oh. they storm the palace and kill everybody. Um, there's other accounts, as she said, purple is a fine burial shroud, which is like the colors of the uh, Byzantine royalty. Uh, she also said a lot of other like she's just dogging on him uh, in front of his advisors for her, for her. And I guess by getting openly shit talked by his wife in front of his entire government, just finally changed his mind. He decided to sit and fight. Thankfully for him, he had one of the greatest generals to ever live right by his side, a guy named Belisarius, and another guy named Narsus, the eunuch, who would eventually become a legendary military commander. So, like, it wasn't from a lack of ability. Yeah. See, without his balls, he's able to focus on studies. And see his weight. Yeah. Makes him more dynamic. Yeah. I I will say, as someone who is uh, dating uh, with the intention to marry a strong-willed woman... Uh, I, I am quite sympathetic to Justinian here, because uh, mostly <laughs> what I do is people think that that I'm the brawn of the operation, but I think it's really Corinne. It's just like negs you into doing the things that you need to do. Yeah. I'm like, that person, I said no onions, and they brought me onions. And I guess I'm eating onions, and she's like, no, <laughs> fuck that. Just flips the table. Uh, and like uh, looking back, a lot of people call uh, Theodora his unofficial advisor, but that was like only because it would have been like weird. But by all accounts, she was a pretty important part of his government. Now, the plan for Belisarius and Narcissus was quite simple. The rebels headquartered in the remains of the Hippodrome, which, like I say, remains. It wasn't that heavily damaged. Okay. But it's not like they were patrolling the city or whatever. Most of these people were from the area. They went home at night. But like tens of thousands of people camped out in the Hippodrome. Like their goal was to sit on the Hippodrome and eventually, I don't know. Hippodrome, yeah. Yeah. And eventually just, I don't know, wait for Justinian to leave uh, and then just like sit the other guy on the throne or whatever. So in order to take them out, all they had to do was invade the Hippodrome. But next came the question, with who? Uh, Any town guards couldn't be trusted, and they had loyalty to one faction or another, and same goes for any units in the area. Any other army unit wasn't garrisoned anywhere nearby, and sending off of them would have taken quite some time. And it wasn't like they had anything comparable to a modern police force that could go and commit wanton violence and get away with it. So Belisarius had an idea. He went through the city's garrison until he found a very small contingent of Thracians and Goths, who were foreigners uh, who wouldn't have loyalty to either blue or green faction. This uh, made- yes, unspeakable goth orgy of violence. <laughs> just getting stabbed through while I blare new order in the background. <laughs> I just keep thinking of what if soccer hooligans got into a fight full of armed hot topic juggalos or something. Rar means I love you in dinosaur as I cut a dude into quarters. <laughs> <laughs> the large amount of hair and uh, hair product is just as good as an iron helm. Uh, so Belisarius who himself uh, actually all three of the advisors were considered foreigners as well so they would have it's generally considered barbarian heritage so they would have loyalty to their fellow barbarians right Nurses joined in taking with him the only for sure loyal members of uh, the imperial garrison which were the imperial guard so even with that they only had about 1500 soldiers (laughs) 
Oh, <laughs> yeah. So remember, there's tens of thousands of people in the Hippodrome and they weren't exactly sure how many people they'd be fighting, but they knew they had to like level the playing field somewhat. So Justinian came up to an additional layer of the plan. According to the book, A Short History of Byzantium, Justinian sent Narcissus undercover because it's not like anybody knows what most people look like back then into the Hippodrome with a fat sack of gold to talk with some members of the blue faction. Ah. Once there, Narcissus told the, the leader that Justinian was totally for realsies in support of the Blues. And since nobody told you guys, I should tell you, that other guy you picked to take the Emperor's spot, he's a green supporter. Now, this is apparently news to these guys, and they took this at face value. It's, it's actually not. Nobody's actually sure if this is true or not. Um, but it was true enough that they fell for enough. it. Yeah. And they got pissed. Uh, upon learning this, and a lot of blues picked up and left the hippodrome after this, just went home. And uh, you know, if of course, if being mad that the emperor might be a green uh, didn't work, like here, have some money, fuck off. <laughs> Here's twenty bucks. How about you fuck off and go back home? <laughs> so this left somewhere again. We're not sure how many between thirty thousand and one hundred thousand people in the hippodrome. That's still a lot of dudes. It's still way too many guys. But it was decided. I like my chances. With that in place, Narcissus used the Imperial Guard as a blocking force. One of the problems with making a building your headquarters is you just plug the exits. This created no exits. And not to mention tens of thousands of people densely packed within the walls of the Hippodrome. Oh, that would actually be better. Because afterwards, Belisarius entered the Hippodrome with his soldiers. and began cutting everyone down in their path. Oh, okay. Yeah, fair enough. Now, remember, there's another, there's another third advisor named Mundus who uh, came in through a different gate. Uh, and it was like a, a three-way slaughter. Uh, not to, there's nowhere for anybody to go because everybody's so densely packed together. The only way out is now full of angry men with swords. And you're just being diced down. It's like a crush from a, like a concert, right? right? Where people start panicking and running every which way, smashing into another if they're not already being cut in half by an angry guy from Hot Topic. So they, they, <laughs> people start trampling one another, suffocating and being butchered. Now, despite the fact there's only 1,500 soldiers doing this, the riders had no fucking way out. And these guys just kept chopping until there was nothing left alive within the Hippodrome. The heavily armored and disciplined soldiers worked their way through the panicked mass, killing blues and greens indiscriminately. Most of these people were not armed, though it's thought that most were trampled or crushed in a stampede as they tried to get around these guys. I think I'd prefer Plague, to be honest with you. Yeah, right. John Julius Norwich writes in the History of Byzantium, quote, The angry shouts of the great amphitheater had given place to the cries and groans of the wounded and dying. Soon these two grew quiet until the silence spread over the entire arena and now sand sodden with the blood of the victims. Okay. There was literally no attempt to discern who was like, a civilian or an actual rebel. People had brought their families in there. It was just an all-out massacre. There was no quarter. It's thought of at least 30,000 people died this way. Jesus. And just to put that in scale, that is 10% of Constantinople's population. Oh. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, the aftermath of this is quite obvious, right? This had the uh, quite opposite intentions of what anybody involved really wanted. For starters, it failed. Justinian I stayed in power and became one of the greatest emperors in the history of Byzantium. Secondly, 
the factions were annihilated. I would imagine, yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and not only their factions, but the families of the factions and people who, I don't know, were just gawking about the cool coup happening in the fucking Hippodrome. It was just destroyed. Everyone that didn't get killed on the spot was executed, to include the guy they picked to uh, to be the new emperor, despite the fact he seemed to be only in about halfway. Oh. The sports factions ceased to be. They died after this. Uh, I mean, they might still exist like as actual sports factions and sports teams, but as a political faction, they were literally annihilated. Um, and while imperial governance is bad, maybe having your political parties based on sports hooliganism and mafia crimes is also bad. Stop fucking moralizing. <laughs> Weeb. And like this, this allowed Justinian to centralize control over Constantinople, making him even more powerful. Oh, no, the opposite thing. Yeah, this is the exact opposite of what I wanted. Uh, Now, I'm not saying this meant the rest of Byzantine history is not a cavalcade of horror shows. It it is. But, you know, that ended the Nikia riots or the Nika riots, whatever you want to. They died. They died real bad. Hey, you guys asked for this episode. People have been requesting this episode for like four years. It just happened. We did it. It gives us an excuse to talk about sports. Uh, you know, like like I think we've said before, the last several months of podcasts have been quite heavy. Um, so this is nice. People call us a genocide pod, Joe. You do that. You did that this episode. <laughs> yeah, but I got it. I learned it from watching you, Dad. You just wait about what I have waiting in the wings. Is it more genocide? Do I have to do another fucking genocide? (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) Now, uh, Liam, again, thank you so much for joining me. Everybody, thank you for listening. And we do a thing on this show called Questions from the Legion. You donate to the show. You ask me a question, and then we answer it. Uh, There's a pretty huge uh, uh, thread of these on our Patreon. Join our Patreon for as little as $1.00. Add your question to the gigantic thread, and the goal is to eventually get through all of them. Now, today's question was the first one ever I actually had to prepare for because it asked for like a whole joke, and neither one of us are comedians. So this one is invent a self-help program that is clearly a scam. <laughs> all right. Do you want to go first? Or you want me to? Uh, you go first. All right, cool. So I had this idea when I was younger, right? Where I was going to go around to Protestant churches where I grew up. So weirdo freako Baptists and uh, and uh, Pentecostals. Be like, I used to be a Satanist. Oh, you're going to be one of those guys. Yeah, I love those yeah, guys. Yeah, knew enough about like Satanism and like, I don't know, I've listened to Slayer before. That's what Alex Jones does now. He yeah. claims that. Yeah, I was going to be. And then like, I, you know, and then I saw the light and I was just going to try and milk Protestants out of their money because Protestants don't deserve rights. I mean, that's not really a, a self-help program, but it, I mean, it helps you. Yeah. Well, that that's the most important thing, Joe. <laughs> so here's my idea. I'm a motivational speaker, right? Liam, is there something in your life holding you back? Like a prison? Yes, Joe, there is. There's a prison. And you, yes, we, we all feel it. We feel it encroaching in on us from within. That's right, folks. Your skeleton. It's imprisoning you from the inside. You have to free yourself from your bones. So. Send your bones to me, and you will not have to deal with them anymore. You will be free, 
and then I assume my my scam is I sell those to a university or something. Welcome to Goo Body, home of the Goo Body. Can I take your order? Just just slipping and sliding around completely bonelessly like Zoidberg. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel something weighing you down? Does your back hurt? My back does hurt. You know what cure your back pain? Not having a spine, Liam. Hear me, Kasabian. <laughs> Just like a fucking Mortal Kombat character reaching in through your chest and pulling out your entire spinal column. You're healed! I fled Doom Eternal. <laughs> Anybody, everybody, thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for supporting the show. Uh, if you don't, consider it. It's your money or don't. It's fine. Uh, Liam, plug your shows. No, but do give us your fucking money, though. Uh, 10,000 losses. And, uh, well, there's your problem. All right. Uh, and until next time, everybody, uh, uh, oh, don't be a chariot racer. Go birds. Go birds. Uh,